Hello, everyone. My name is Suki Thompson. Welcome to Reset, the podcast, a place for you to get some inspiration and advice to help you live a more fulfilling work life. I do hope that your journey to feel more connected, more inspired, just a bit more energized starts here. Take a moment now with me to reset. joys of this podcast is that I get to meet truly inspirational people, some who have learned and achieved so much at such a young age. Harry Saunders is a very special guest and fits this description perfectly. From sleeping rough in his teenage years to founding the multi-million dollar international SEO company Studio Hawk, Harry is certainly a man with a story to tell. He talks me through how he initially found himself drawn to the world of SEO, stemming from a desire to help his dad's small business at the age of 13 and quenching his thirst to learn more, get better and succeed. And his knowledge grew, so did his confidence. And just by the age of 16, Harry took the leap to leave school, the company he was working for and try it for himself, a decision which along with some challenging family circumstances, led him to not con to continued success, but by being broke and living rough on the streets of Melbourne, Australia. Harry and I have an open and frank conversation about the psychological impact of being homeless, the impact it had on him and the road he has traveled to build back a sense of self-worth and value. Harry astutely talks about the saying, self-made, asking me if anyone really is self-made. For him, he attributes much of where he is now to the social workers and the therapists who worked with him whilst he was on the streets and allowed him to feel seen, heard and valued. He shares the reality of building a business from the streets, sleeping with his laptop underneath him, relying on McDonald's free Wi-Fi and holding on to his using network events as a chance to connect back into the tech world, as well as an opportunity to access some free food and drink. I get to hear intimately the ways in which his experiences have shaped Harry as an entrepreneur, a leader and a mentor to others, and how this now impacts how he shapes the culture of his business, which is growing internationally. A visionary leader and an inspiring soul. Don't miss me speaking to Harry Saunders this week. I hope this episode of Reset the Podcast gives you perhaps a different perspective on what is important in life. If like me, you were inspired by the show, please follow, rate and share with your colleagues and friends. It makes a real difference to us. Enjoy. Harry, it's so lovely to see you. How well? It's your evening, isn't it, in Australia? Yeah, nice, uh, nice wintry evening in Australia. Oh, lovely! Well, do you know I'm in Cornwall, um, and it's a beautiful sunny day. <laughs> well, enjoy. <laughs> Thank you. So, look, I'm going to ask you a question, which is one of the questions that we ask at the beginning of actually quite a lot of our days, um, but certainly all our workshop, which is 
On a scale of one to 10, Harry, how energised do you feel today? I feel, I'd say I'm a solid eight today, even though it's the end of the day. I reckon I, I feel pretty, pretty uh, ready to move mountains still. Oh, good, good. Well, move mountains is a, you know, is a, is a kind of good probably way to describe you in a way. You have uh, an incredible story to tell. So I'm so delighted that we've got this opportunity. And I was just saying to the team at work, everyone was feeling slightly like they'd underachieved, um, certainly the ones under 30, because you've done so much already. Um, but let's take you back to your childhood, because you know, your, your love of technology and computers and where you've ended up with your business as an entrepreneur started when you were actually a kind of young teenager. Um, what, did you have just a love of computers anyway? And you said you wanted to go into co to computer gaming to begin with, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, ever since I got on a computer, I was obsessed with it, right? Um, it took me a while to finally get there. I didn't grow up in a well-off family, but as soon as I got on a computer, you could not pull me off. Um, and because, you know, we didn't have high-end computers or anything, I used to play those little flash games back in the day, if anyone remembers those. And, yeah, I got started, you know, computer gaming on a game called RuneScape, and that's, I guess, how it all kind of started for me. Yeah, well, um, Joe, my son equally was an absolute computer, you know, absolutely loved it. So, yeah, I've seen some of those games. Um <laughs> So your dad, you said you, you grew up in a, in a relatively um, not particularly well-off family. Your dad, was, mm. was he a, did he run a boat building business? Yeah, so it was kind of like a boat training company. Like he taught people to get uh, licenses that uh, couldn't go through the government for some reason or another. And that was kind of his business. Okay. And, you know, when I read your story, I reflected, because I've come across over the years, you know, my business before Let's Reset, Oyster Catchers, helped clients find agencies, but on the mm. whole, large clients. But mm. over the years, what I've heard so many times, particularly as we came into the more digital focus, is clients, individuals like your dad, using agencies that either weren't very good, didn't really know what they were doing, or just charging a lot of money for expertise that wasn't really relevant for that particular person or company. Mm. And I guess it sounds a little bit like that was the case with your dad. Tell us, tell us what happened. Mm. So yeah, obviously the industry definitely 10 years ago, you know, when, when this is taking place at like 13, 14, not that it's improved that much, but um, you know, it was very full of scams and con artists and people promising the world and, for me, I've been playing RuneScape all the time and I'd, I'd started creating websites and doing all those things because I was just so into, you know, the gaming and stuff. And um, I figured, you know, dad was getting scammed by these guys and they, he couldn't get it out of the contract. I figured, why not learn how to do this? How hard can it be, right? How hard could this skill be? And so, you know, it was the first time in my life, I think, that I actually learned something that I wasn't taught at school and, I really applied myself. Um, and so I was trolling through guides and everything and testing. And that's how I got involved. And I just found it this beautiful mix of logic and creativity. You know, I absolutely love that. And, you know, I would love to think that if I applied myself, I could really understand SEO. I've got to say, <laughs> I really don't. My, my lovely friend, Dan Gilbert, set up Brain Labs. I don't know if you know Brain Labs. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I've seen Dan over the years grow the business. 
Even mm. my son's been to work there for him, um, you know, to get some work experience. I'm like, Sam, do you really understand what's going on? And then, you know what? I, it must be an age thing because I, I get it in principle. <laughs> I just definitely couldn't do it myself. But so I, I love the fact. So you're there at school, you know, not mm. much older than 13. You're then helping your dad. You're building a business and you're going to school. How did that all work? Because I know by the time you were finishing school, you weren't really going to school that much. Did did the desire and the love of what you were doing just take over and get you more excited than a a working day at school? A hundred percent. I mean, uh, so I I was building, you know, I was helping dad with his business, getting uh, getting some more inquiries and more work. And when we say business, we're talking, you know, 30,000 US, 20,000 pound a year business, right? We're not talking employees kind of thing. Um, and so he was getting a, a bit more work there. And so at the same time, I started building affiliate websites, which is a term for like a website that sells leads. And so I, at the ripe age of 14, built a travel website, right? And I would use people that I would friends with on RuneScape and pay them in currency in the game. And they would write these articles for equivalent of like four or five bucks. But it was, you know, we don't worry about the child labor aspect of that. I was a kid too. Um, and so we would write these guides and because these people were all over the world, it was like the locals guide to here. And it was always budget conscious kind of guides. Um, and I had, a, I had a, a company approach me, a local agency that was acting on behalf of one of the big travel groups that wanted to buy it. And so, you know, me not knowing what I was doing, I, I had to learn about negotiating. And I heard about this term anchoring. So anchoring is where you set a higher price and negotiate down. So I started with the lofty price of $5,000 yeah. um, for my travel brand. And uh, yeah, they picked that up pretty quick. <laughs> um, it wasn't a lot of negotiation on that one. Um, and but how fascinating. I, it's so interesting, isn't it? You know, we hear of so many entrepreneurs that mm. school just, doesn't really work for them did was it that you just didn't ever feel like you fitted in or was there just other things going on that made you more interested yeah I think it was it was that whole project I mean as soon as they they bought it like they asked if I wanted to come in a day a week so I started coming in a day a week and they asked if my school had a program and I just lied I'm just like yeah 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 we got a program I just started skipping school on Wednesday and once you get a taste for it like Seriously, once you get a taste for making your own money and working in a team and an environment, something you actually enjoy, come on, what kid wants to go to school, right? I mean, imagine imagine trying to convince you to go to school next year. You'll be like, yeah, this is cool for a little bit. And then you get bored instantly. You're like, I don't love this as much as I thought I would. So yeah, I think it's just some people are wired differently. For me, I never felt like applied at school. I never felt applied. Yeah, no, it's 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 fascinating, isn't it? And do you now miss some of the things that you might have learned from school? Do you do you do you go back and go, actually, maybe I should have spent a bit more time at school because I could have shortcut where you're trying to get to now? Because I think for me, mm-hmm. my first degree was a drama degree, and I, and I absolutely loved it. And do you know what? It did loads of brilliant things for me. And I, um, and then I went on and did marketing and and a business degree but I think it just would have helped me get my businesses to where they needed to be quicker now Mm. frankly not particularly being at school as you said but certainly my kind of master's my MBA that would have helped me if I'd done that earlier Mm. on but obviously you need to kind of have some experience before you do it so I don't know I mean you can't do that at a level can you no so like I I mean 
I feel like the biggest thing I miss was good friends. Like I didn't have a lot of good friends because I was there 20% of the time. Like I just, mm-hmm. you know, from 14, I, I, I was still there. But by the time I was 16, 17, I was at school like 20% of the time, just like as much as possible. I like calculated to get enough attendance or like to just scrape through. Yeah. Um, and so that was, you know, that was how I looked at school. Yeah, yeah. So you then... You're, uh, I guess, a late, a late teenager by this time. You're building business. You've been doing some stuff with your dad, but you run out of cash. Mm. This is a massive reset then, isn't it? This is a big reset moment. You know, I think every one of us as an entrepreneur has a moment where you go, oh, the cash flow is not there for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. But very few of us are as young as you. So I think, you know, for me, certainly, I, I didn't start my first business until I was 30. Um, I, I had quite a lot of experience. So everyone says this will be the moment. What mm. happened to you at that moment? So, yeah, at 17, I've been working at this company. And, you know, in hindsight, it was such a bad state of my life. My mum was sleeping rough. She didn't have, you know, stable housing at that point. Um, Were you living with your mum? No, I was living with dad at that time. They were divorced. Um, Dad didn't really have stable housing either, was, you know, living from girlfriend to girlfriend kind of situation. And, um, you know, I decided, like, I didn't realise how close I was to to not being around, but I was, you know, it it came to basically the fact that she didn't like the fact I was part of that previous marriage. And then, you know, I was kind of uh, out. And what unfortunately happened was, well, I didn't have any money. I quit my job and I, and I quit it on really bad terms. I mean, that's a hindsight for me. Like I had such an ego when I was 16, 17, because I had this great job. I was getting paid a lot of money for my age and I thought I'd just quit and do it better. And so I spent all my money on trying to do it better and got kicked out. And here I was in like two stupid decisions. I was now on the streets. Um, and so, you know, I, I slept under bridges. I slept, I couch surfed with, with other people, uh, like Brody that I was on the streets with and friends that I made along the way. And, you know, that was like that for a good six, nine, 12 months um, of that period of my life where I couldn't find employment. I didn't have a real business. I just founded the name and spent all the money. Um, and yeah, that was a real reset moment for me on every account. What was it like? What was it like sleeping on the streets? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's awful. I mean, it's about as bad as it sounds, to be honest, because most people think, um, you know, sleeping on the streets, the hard part is like, people ask me, like, how'd you get food? Actually, food was like one of the easiest things to get. There's like, you know, food banks everywhere. And there's an enormous amount of work that's gone into making sure that people can eat. But getting showers, you know, change of clothes, um, you know, even just sleeping somewhere for the night. Uh, not to mention, you know, putting your address down for work or inquiries for anything, or if you needed to get a package or something. And back then I didn't have like Amazon lockers and stuff. And, you know, most, most difficultly the mental health uh, of someone on that street, I still felt worthless, like baggage, you know, that's something that took me many years, even after I was off the streets to get over and, and to kind of find that level of self-worth again. And so, yeah, it's a really, you know, it's a really, really difficult stage because you're trapped in your head that, you know, in a weird way, you either deserve this or, you know, you're no better than this. And so that to really improve your life, you know, you have to deal with that. And that's incredibly difficult. And how did you deal with it? What sort of things did you do 
to get mm. your I know you said it's taking you a long time, but mm. how did you even get your head to a place where you could be okay enough to try and get another job or or to begin to make some money? Oh, I think it's about a support network. Like any, you know, it's there's a there's a lot of good dialogue now around like this self-made person like idea and it's like well no one's really self-made I mean I had social workers I'll be the first to say I dealt with I worked with so many therapists um you know going through that part of my life sorry were you doing that while you were on the streets did you have a through social programs you 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 know you'll connect with social workers and therapists and you know I didn't didn't get housing but I certainly got a lot of support on like the mental health front part which which went a long way to helping the problem, right? And, um, you know, I, I'm really fortunate I'm a part of, of those organisations that, that helped me now. But, but at the time, you know, it was, you know, really like to have someone talk to you like you're a person and value you is, I mean, that's, you can't, you can't really, I can't put into words what that experience is like. I mean, that's the first time that someone outside of your immediate family has gone, you know, Hey, you know, you're, you're worth it and you're not broken. You know, you just need to be applied. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, you know, you just said a bit earlier because you weren't at school for a lot of time, mm. you didn't have that network potentially of very close mm. friends that Absolutely. Yeah. Through that. I hadn't really thought about the impact of that relationship side of, of school, of actually, you know, having mm. those families and friends that are very much there for you. Because if I think about it over, you know, over the years, um, we've had various friends of my children that have come to stay for the odd night or few nights mm. here and there because it's been a bit tough at home. Not because, mm. you know, certainly didn't get to the place that you were at at all, but hadn't really thought about it in those terms that then if you don't actually go to school and you haven't got those friends that makes everything so much more difficult doesn't it yeah absolutely and so it's also really hard because the, the limited amount of friends I did have I mean because of my mental headspace I felt like such a burden that even if I stayed with someone for a week or Brody and I stayed with someone for a week we were always looking to move on because we don't want to feel like the burden to anyone. And, you know, it's easy to look at that and be like, oh, yeah, well, that's stupid. You should have just stayed. It's like, but when you're in that headspace, like, honestly, you know, there were times I would rather sleep under the bridge or move on than stay somewhere that, you know, I'm sure I was welcome, but I felt like a burden. And, I, I you know, it's that, that mental headspace. It's really difficult. Yeah, I can completely see that. And we've heard that a lot from people, of course. Mm. Um, so then what happened? How did you get out of this place? Yeah, so, I, uh, you know, using the, the help of like those social workers and stuff, I mean, I couldn't find work. I wasn't really getting any money from the government or anything. I kind of went back to my roots and went, okay, well, you know, when I when I ended up homeless, I set up this business and I wanted to do SEO. That was my dream. If I can get a couple of clients, like I know I'm really skilled at this. I've been like working on some massive, you know, projects like, I could, I could make this work. And so I was like, well, how do I get clients? And so, you know, networking events was what I was told. Uh, and so I was 17. I was wearing the most rugged shoes, you know, rugged top. But that was okay because I worked in tech. And if you work yes, in tech. That's lucky, you isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't matter what you look like. 100%. So I just went up to every free networking event. I was getting free food and free drinks. And I was like, this, is the, this isn't, you know, the worst thing that could happen. And it took me many months, but I got, you know, one or two clients and, you know, like 
you would imagine you like once you have one or two clients and you're doing a good job, they refer you business. And, and that started compounding until I got my own share house. I got a room in a share house. And I remember getting that. I probably had two or three clients. I spent all my money on this house, right? It wasn't like I had savings. And I just remember bursting in tears. It was the first time I was like, wow, I don't feel like a burden here. I'm paying for my own accommodation. Like I've gone through this journey and, and like tears. And it was just this thought of like, I'm not going back on the street again. Like I'm doing whatever I have to, to like keep this house. And so that determination and that hunger was what really leapfrogged the business to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. And gosh, it makes me feel oh, I just, I can't believe that, you know, young people, I know we see them all the time, don't we? Young people, thousands of, thousands thousands, of, young, people. Thousands of young people that are, homeless and it just feels so wrong mm. um, and you're such an inspiration for people who've gone through this I think so you know it's um it's amazing to hear the conversation actually it's really good to hear you talk about it because I think it will help people but also opens the eyes to people like me that you know don't mm. don't many many people that are homeless that have then gone on to do something else mm. um, so you're you've got to this place of of being in the housing, um, wait because you must you know use the internet. Uh, this is the bit that keeps yeah. If you're homeless, how do you? Yeah, yeah. you were you going to an internet cafe? What were you doing? How did you make that work? Oh, yeah, I mean, internet, like there's Macca's free Wi-Fi. You can get Wi-Fi at places like St. Vinny's. There's actually a lot of free Wi-Fi around. So, um, you know, I, I found that 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 wasn't very tricky at all you can get a cheap phone plan i mean like data's everywhere like uh and did you like uh, have a computer that you carried around with you because presumably i had a laptop yeah i had a really uh i had a laptop um that i carried around with me that i almost lost on night too but that's another story well i was gonna say at night time did you like sleep with it next to you because you i would yeah someone would come along and steal it 100%. 100%. It almost happened night too before I was like ingrained in the community and had friends because, you know, people protect each other. But right. uh, on that second night, I, I didn't and I was, I was in a place that I shouldn't have been and I almost lost that. That would have been, we would have been talking about a very different story now. But, you know, and that's the thing, like there's thousands of young people on the streets and I'm not in any way suggesting that everyone can just like, you know, go to a few networking events and start a multi-million dollar company. Mm-hmm. I'm just sharing, you know, my story about what, what, worked for me but yeah there's so many you know even my friends are still you know some of them are still doing it real tough and yeah, yeah it's tricky yeah so let's let's go forward then you are now you've got a few clients what was the name of your yeah. first client do you remember uh what are the early clients yeah oh some of them some like we're talking real small businesses like one of them was a medical center one of them was like a landscaping company like real early companies but you know what Um, it doesn't matter does it because i look back over the years and for each of my businesses my first client or first two clients so important to me you know it might be the smallest it might be big doesn't really matter what they are they're just important aren't they because you can't start without somebody having faith in you Absolutely. And look, a big company is not going to take that leap of faith with you. You're not going to get like, you know, one of our clients is New Balance. New Balance aren't going to go, great, we'd like to sign with you as your first client, right? It takes time to work up to clients like that. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so how did you kind of then reset? So was it called Studio Hawk from the beginning? Yeah, it was always called Studio Hawk. Uh, came up with that name and I wasn't, I certainly wasn't going to re-register names, but did not have the money for that kind of luxury. Um, but now I, I love the name now because it's kind of, 
you know, we, we're a very specialized provider. We just do one part of digital marketing called SEO. And so the hawk comes from the, the hawk's known for the vision, right? Being able to laser focus in on that one thing. And so now I love that name, I, you know, and it reminds me of a lot where we came from. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. That's a great name. So mm. the reset you've got, you are you're in a room, you've got a few clients. How did you go from there to being the multi-million pound business? dollar business that you are now yeah well at that point it was kind of finding people that would help you know so I found and connected in with some phenomenal mentors that I'm very lucky that I can name like Graham Robertson was one of my mentors he's been my mentor for six years pretty much you know a year since I got that share house he's been a mentor of mine um and He's been a CEO of Tetley T and all these fantastic companies. And he saw me, you know, at a networking event basically and went like, who is this kid? Like he's 20 years younger than anyone here. And he took me under his wing and he taught me, you know, so much about business because I had no idea about money or business. And he taught me about clients and he talked to me about getting referrals and he talked to me about cash flow and he talked to me about this thing called tax that I wasn't, I hadn't thought about for the whole first year, which would have got me in a lot of trouble. Um, and so, you know, now today I have so many uh, fantastic, amazing mentors and a, a part of like many groups, like, um, there's an organization called YPO, which is a great, like, uh, peer to peer kind of mentoring, networking network globally. And these are the kind of things that, you know, keep me hungry. And yeah, I've always surrounded myself with those kind of people. So that's what helped me get to that next level when I went from that room with that hunger and that passion, I basically just got more referrals from clients up until I started having to hire, which was kind of the next chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm fascinated about mentors. I mean, I think it's something we've all talked about, we've all had, mm. and, and you know, you probably mentor people yourself now and you certainly mm. will for the rest of your life, I'm sure. What is it that makes a very special mentor for you? What kind of qualities um, do you look for in a mentor that makes a difference? Someone that has experience in something I'm breaking into. And I don't mean experience like Graham knew nothing about SEO. He didn't even know really what it was, right? But he had a fantastic background in business and manufacturing. Never doubt someone's experience in another industry or vertical because you don't know what can be related and taught to you. So it's a very easy to look at Graham it's like a, you know, 67, it's like a 70-year-old dude. You're like, what does this guy know about SEO, right? He's got no experience there. It's completely untrue. He's got decades of experience in business, right? And that's something that I look for in mentors. I look at who's got experience, like I'm working with mentors now around wealth and finance and working in a not-for-profit sector. And they've all got experience there that I can draw from. But I don't need a mentor in SEO. That's what I do. I do that really well. You know, I'd be worried if I needed a mentor in SEO. I need a mentor in the other things that I don't know really well. Yeah. And if I ask Graham, what would he get out of having a relationship with you? I think Graham likes the feeling of giving back. And he also he learns a lot the way I see things and unpack things. And, you know, if you're going to be a good mentee, you need to be a really good listener and you need to follow up. So I always make it whenever I'm uh, being mentored by someone and they're spending time. I make a list of what I'm going to do and I push back. I'll, I'll try something and I'll be like, hey, uh, we spoke about this last time. I tried it, it didn't work. I actually corrected it a little bit. I think it works like this. And as a mentor, that's awesome to hear because you're like, great, actually they're listening and paying attention and doing things. I mean, that's otherwise you're wasting your time, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you're right. Um, being org- being organized and structured in an unstructured way, I think, is the best kind of relationship because you know, I have a, I suppose, a sort of mentor-mentee, mentor-mentee relationship with a guy called Paul Pomeroy, who's the chief executive mm-hmm. of McDonald's in Europe over here. And, you know, we've worked together um, supporting each other for a long time. And the lovely thing is sometimes we have like a packed agenda of stuff to talk about. And other times yeah. we're just like, do you know what? We've probably got one thing we're worried about. Can mm. we hear, you know, how would you approach it? What does it look like? And, you know, I, I used to advise him and now he advises me as much as I advise him. And it's just, it's amazing. And, and he's my, probably my longest term mentor, mentee relationship. And I still look forward to the sessions all the time because I get so much mm. But you're right. But so, so sometimes I don't have a list, you know, mm. just one mm. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um you, you then said so you had to begin to employ people. Mm-hmm. What was that like? How did you come to terms with doing that? And what did you do? Was it was that easy for you? Oh god, no, that was scary. Um, because I barely made enough money for myself and like started this ragtag, like we're gonna change the SEO industry, and we didn't have sales and all these kind of things that we did different. And then, um, you know, I, I got approached one day by uh, a guy that was about to be, um, you know, basically sent back. He couldn't afford rent anymore because um, his company wasn't paying. He was a contractor. And so I had a bit of work then. And I was like, oh, man, you know, I really want to help this guy. So I took him on um, and unknowingly started hiring someone. <laughs> and so I was like, oh crap, I'm totally responsible for someone else now. I barely got a roof above my head and now I'm responsible for someone else. And that just made me want to work doubly hard, right? I was like, damn, not only if I stuff this up, am I going to stuff this up for myself, but now there's someone else's livelihood on that. And so that was another, you know, pivotal point in the business because, you know, giving that person an opportunity also gave me the opportunity to like learn and really run a business. So then, you know, I went to Graham and I was like, oh, Graham, I've accidentally hired someone and we're now scaling up rapidly. And so then we went through that chapter of the business, which is like people and culture. And so we went from one to five to 10 to 20, really, really fast. And just kind of coming back to that culture and you know, we had a really good mission statement, which is like, you know, no salespeople. We weren't going to hire anyone. We're always going to work with integrity. We're going to go above and beyond. We wanted to be passionate about what we did. You know, the typical brand value stuff, but that really helped us solidify that culture. And, you know, in a, in a way where we didn't have salespeople, we were still getting referrals and work, able to scale a, a company. Yeah. And as you've grown, um, You've got over 50 people now, I think, and you've got 300 clients. So, you know, you're a really big company. Um, What have you got help for and what things do you carry on doing yourself? Um, In terms of the business? Yeah, just in terms of the business. So, for example, I know I I love people. I love creating a business, Mm. the kind of, as you say, the kind of passion and the vision. But I get quite carried away with that. So Mm. I have for the last couple of companies I've had always had an HR person from the very beginning. So I have even Mm. on that small company, I have an external HR person so that the people who work for me have somebody else to talk to. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And also so that, you know, when I sold my last business, I realized just what a fantastic resource HR can be, particularly now, because, you know, there's so many difficulties and there's so much challenge, but also I want people to feel that they can be as brilliant as they can be. So, you Mm -hmm. know, that person for me, of course, finance is important as well, but that person Mm -hmm. for me in all my businesses is the most important person that I think that I have an employee because it's so important to me, but I know it's not a skill set that I always do brilliantly. Mm. Well, that's it. Like, I mean, for me, I'm a big believer, probably like yourself in like, you know, specialists and getting people into certain things. Like we've got HR, we've got different people in different areas. I was never good with the money and the finance. So I've got a CFO and accounting team, a bookkeeper, you know, controller in the business. You know, it's, it's just as important to recognize, if not more important to recognize the things that you shouldn't be doing as you're in your business as the things that you are. And so this is where I think that that whole ego piece comes into it. Like I'm very good at sitting back now and going, you know what? I'm not the best person in the business to do this. I'm not the best person in the business at SEO anymore. I'm not the best person at like uh, the, you know, management of the business. I have a great uh, general manager and a managing director in our London office, and they're both doing phenomenally. What I'm really good at is doing the strategy and the vision, kind of like going in and being like, what makes us different? What makes someone want to work with us? And what makes us unique in that market? And how do we stay 20, 30% better than what everyone else in that industry is doing? That's my you know, kind of zone of genius, as, as they put it in, in, in YPO. Zone of genius, love that, love that. We often talk about superpowers, but I think a zone of genius is, yeah, that's a great, <laughs> that's a great expression, Harry. Um, let's come back a little bit to your mental well-being, because mm. you know, when we last talked about that, uh, so much has happened in the conversation, but, you know, you're, you're back, you've gone from being homeless, having to have a sense of, yourself again the importance mm-hmm. you had you said you know as, as a young teenager not surprisingly you became quite arrogant quite quickly because you mm-hmm. were so successful in many ways mm. how have you got to know yourself how have you begun to help your mental resilience so then also enable you to become the resilient leader that you clearly are now I think it comes down to like I think most great business leaders, and this is generalizing, but most great business leaders have some kind of hardship, whether they're a migrant family, whether they've been through some really tough time where they've had to demonstrate resilience, because business is nothing but resilience at the end of the day. You have good days, you have bad days. Um, And it's the businesses that survive those bad days that that do well. Um, But yeah, I mean, coming back to it, it's always been that support network. Like I've always prided myself on listening ever since I was so egotistical that I thought I knew best. I've always done the exact opposite and listened to as many people as I could, you know, whether that's mentors, whether that's people in my industry, I'm friends with a bunch of people in my industry. I don't see them as competitors. Um, And they're the things that really keep me, you know, upfront. I'm always learning. I figure I'm so young. I have an incredible, incredible thirst to, to learn more and do more and, you know, do all that, like give back. I mean, that's, I guess that's what keeps me, you know, mentally well. And I've always thought about, you know, if I got off the streets, I was going to help other kids get off the streets. And now like I'm an ambassador for Lighthouse Foundation. We donate a lot of money there. We helped over a thousand kids with mental health and getting homes and, 
you know, they're the things that I think really helped me mentally, even in those dark days going like, well, if I ever do get off the streets, I'm going to make it my mission and make sure that we don't have other people on the streets. And look, of course, that's a big, broad statement, but you have to have dreams if you want to succeed, right? Mm -hmm. But what a, what a fascinating dream, because I think quite a lot of young people, you know, whether they're on the streets or not, would have a dream. And, you know, we've heard this as well, would have a dream about owning a Ferrari, running a big mm. million pound business. Mm. Um, you know, that's their dream. That's what keeps yeah. them going. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then they get there and that doesn't actually happy. happy. Yeah, doesn't but, make you happy. But no, but it's so for me, it's it's fascinating that there you were on the streets thinking, I want to be out of this and I want to help other people get out of this. Where does that come from? And, and, and has that just or was that just there because you knew how hard it was? I think, it, yeah, I think it was because of my experience. I mean, when I was 16, I wanted a Lamborghini. Um, I was like, I'm going to start a company. I'm going to buy a Lamborghini. It's going to be so sick. I still don't have a Lamborghini. I can go out and buy one tomorrow. I think that, you know, no offense to anyone that has a Lamborghini, maybe that makes them really happy. But I think for me, that's just someone that doesn't, you know, has something to compensate for, right? They're, they're not happy in themselves unless, unless, of course, having a Lamborghini is something that really makes them happy. But for 90% of those people, I'd say they're just, they're not sure what else to do. They just need to prove that they're successful. So I think it's just those experiences. I, I mean, I'd love to say, no, I'm just an awesome person. I've always been like that, wanting to give back. But I think it really has been those experiences and being like, wow, you know, I, I got dealt a pretty rough hand and there's a lot of people who have been a lot, dealt a lot worse hands than me. Like, how awful is that? Um, you know, I'm in a position where, uh, and, and also selfishly, it feels great to help and to do something. So even in those bad days in the business, I, I look at the stuff I do with things like the Linehouse Foundation. I'm like, well, you know, even though we had a bad day in the business, wow, we, we got to help all these young people, right? And so it kind of offsets itself. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just nice to have a deeper, meaningful purpose and it gets you up in a day because at a certain point in business, it becomes, you know, I, I'm, I've had many offers to sell the business, but it's just not what I do it for anymore. For me now, it's the challenge and it's the opportunity to hire more people and give them opportunities from disadvantaged backgrounds into the business and give them careers. Well, that's what I was going to say was what, what, what next? What's next for Studio Hawk and, and for you? Uh, where where's the next either big reset or where does it evolve to yeah well we're still we're doing a lot of expansion so we're now in london we've got you know a team in london they're growing like i mean we're hiring like a person a month like it's insane and i hadn't even been to london before i started a business in london uh in australia we're still we've got 50 people in australia and that's growing really rapidly and we're hoping to do the u.s and yeah, I think what's next for me is, um, you know, really still, you know, getting like involved and helping expand that. And we've got a really good, you know, business model now. Like last year, we were named the Global Search World's Best Large SEO Agency, which is, you know, in our industry, a massive, yep. uh, a very significant award. It's like 60 judges. And um, for us, it's now just about growing that and expanding out that vision and um, becoming, becoming, you know, able to give more opportunities to people that want to learn SEO, more opportunities for people that are looking for SEO, just expanding that out. And um, with that interesting business model of, you know, just down the line, pure play SEO, front line, so you don't deal with any sales stuff or anything. And yeah, using that as a, as a backbone for the work I do with things like the Lighthouse Foundation and 
you know, organizations like, you know, um, YPO that you can get a part of and be a part of all these amazing networks around the world, which is, you know, all these things have compounded to help massively in, in growing and scaling the business. Yeah, yeah. And is your, is your dad still alive? Dad's still around. I don't have a strong relationship with dad, to be honest, but I have a phenomenal relationship with my mum. You know, I just I just bought a house for her, which is right next to my house now. So uh, she's got her own place now and uh, she looks after my dog all the time. I see her constantly. She's the most phenomenally generous, kind amazing woman she's another beacon in my life that I look to and I'm just like wow I'm never going to be as generous as this woman but at least I can try and aspire to be um so it's nice to have people like that in my life I mean she's got nothing because she's given everything I don't know if I want to quite get that far but you know it's certainly (laughs) good to have a role model like that and I bet she must be super proud of you (laughs) yeah she's lovely (laughs) um what else do you do apart from, you know, clearly being really close to your mom, some of your friends? What else do you do regularly for your kind of mental and physical well-being? Oh, I love, I still love gaming. Um, you know, you add me on Steam, Harry the Hawk. Um, I love uh, experiences because I, I didn't get to do a lot of that. So whether that's traveling or snowboarding or just anything like that, I, I you know, really enjoy doing that. Um, so they're the kind of activities that I, I, I think I enjoy. Like for me, you know, I, I'm lucky I'm in a position I am now. I, I don't really have a fancy car or anything like that. I just like to be able to do things that I never thought I'd be able to do, having the flexibility. I mean, I go on tiki tours with a bunch of young 20-year-olds that are graduating uni and try and fit in there, right? Like it's always just been about the flexibility for me in life, and I'm really grateful that I have that now. Well, Harry, do you know, talking to you has just been such an eye-opening, quite emotional for me experience. Um, Thank you for sharing your story. I love the sense of compassion you have for other people, um, how you've really learned from a very, very, very difficult time, um, how driven you are in an area that is really important. You know, we do know SEO does make a significant difference to business. And there's still, as you say, there's not enough good businesses out there doing it. Um, Mm. And there's a real opportunity for growth. And there's always opportunities for young entrepreneurs to make Mm. it to to business and to the world. So you seem to be doing a great job at doing both. Cheers. It's lovely to hear. And look, if you are listening to this kind of episode and you're doing it tough, like, you know, Stick in there. You know, it is really tough, but the only thing that anyone can say is stick in there. And, you know, things things do absolutely get better. And you hear that all the time because it's true. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed Reset the Podcast, I'd love it if you would forward it to your work colleagues, friends and family. Reset the Podcast is a Let's Reset and Advertising Week global production. Executive producer is Richard Larson, with me, Suki Thompson. Thanks to our sponsor, Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits and voiceover artist, Talitha Penny. Music provided by Audio Network.